Chapter 21 Yamoth was clutched in the heart of his world, soul and essence transformed. He was not simply in the heart of it, but in every extremity as well. He was the blood of it. His consciousness coursed potently throughout his world. It was his love. This place. This beautiful, vast, powerful place. It loved him as well. They were one. He secure within the core of the world, and the world enlivened by the aching ecstasy of him. He loved the coaling hillsides of the first level, the serpents that wove themselves among the sinews of the land, the snaking rivers, the scaly leaves, the lithe and the curving backbones of the hills. He loved the vast new infirmary, taking shape even that moment as his mind breathed through the winding hills. Rebecca had done well. Her building designs had instinctively captured the heart of the place. Unlike her halcyon designs, which strained toward the sky and feel longing, these structures melted with the ground. There was no longer need of ascension. Paradise lay all around. The great hall of the infirmary had the tapered form of a lizard's ribcage with slender arches meeting overhead in a long, sinuous vault. The fatics eating within were like creatures living in the belly of a great beast, and so they were. The great, benevolent, bountiful beast, Yawmoth. Their healing capsules were no longer caskets for the living dead. Now the white chambers lay stacked and decorous beside the infirmary, eggs in a serpent's nest. The folk within, like wormlings growing fangs and wings, were being healed of their thysis. He loved those folk best of all. Newts, he called them playfully. They seemed to him nascent salamanders, smooth-skinned and placid, 990 souls so far, the human inhabitants of the world. He sensed every last one of them and could enter their minds and hearts through the power stones residing in their thigh muscles. Those stones healed the folk. Through the stones, Yamoth healed them, strengthened them, improved them. Their capsules infused with them enzymes and hormones. The health corps workers reshaped them through aggressive therapies and bold surgeries. They were reshaped by the loving will of their creator toward new beings. Daily, more patients arrived from Halcyon. Daily, more egg capsules mounted atop the nest beside the infirmary. Daily, a select few new capsules traveled down the pipework of the spheres to the fourth level. In new laboratories and aisles of glistening oil vats, their flesh would be sampled. They would contribute what was best in their makeup toward the hope of a powerful hybrid of humanity. The elite of Yamal's healing corps oversaw these vats, priests of the new faith of Phyrosis. The first fruits of their labors were approving above. The newts in their capsules were changing. Their skin thickened. Their muscles hypertrophied. Their hair grew black and barbed. Their fingernails curved into near claws. Their eye orbits widened, and the orbs within enlarged. Their jaws extended, and their teeth grew. The vestigial muscles that once turned ears toward distant sounds and closed nostrils to sloshing oceans thickened and reinitiated their ancient work. Yamoth had taken the human refuse of Halcyon and made them stronger, taller, abler than the finest warriors in the world above. He loved them, and they loved him. He was within each of them, and his vitality brought them to life. Daily, more arrived. This day, something else arrived. Unwanted news. It was distressing to hear news, not simply to know it. He knew the mind of every resident of Phyrexia. All war bore power stones within them. But the person who brought the news did not bear such a stone. Yarmouth had to hear her voice filtered through the health corps workers she addressed. I must speak to Yarmouth himself, she was saying. The worker stared down at her through the slitted eye mask he wore. His own voice echoed howling in the armor. No one speaks to Yarmouth himself. I built these buildings. My husband designed your blasted armor, she said through gritted teeth. She was always so beautiful, this fiery little woman. Take me to him. Take me to speak to him. The healer began another off-putting response, but Yama's own voice rose through him, took hold of his throat like a fist. Speak, Rebecca. 
I hear you. To speak to this man is to speak to me. She blinked, anger giving way to suspicion, and then to fear. Yamath? It is I. Speak. Terrible news. A massive attack has landed at Orlison. The city fell in a day. The artificers within betrayed the loyal forces. Now all the city's weapons and ships and artifact warriors are in the hands of the Thran Alliance. When did this happen? A month ago. The word has only just reached us. The Orlison Messenger Corps was slain first to prevent communications. The Allied nations have landed and are marching inland. Even now, they lay siege to Phonon. It is expected to fall too. If it does, six of the eight city-states will be allied to the invaders. Phonon has an army of mechanized mantis warriors. Yamoth hated when the concerns of the overworld intruded on his paradise. Even grave matters seemed but niggling details to the godmind he became in Phyrexia. He allowed lieutenants, as loyal and ruthless as Gix himself, to handle most threats to his rule, but this required his immediate attention. Did you hear what I said? Rebecca asked. Are the stone chargers perfected? Stone chargers? Yamoth sighed, though it was the armored healer who released the breath. The mechanisms that charge power stones by drawing the life from the land. Oh, Rebecca said. No. The Mana Rig team has devised implosion devices that crack stones open to suck in whatever is around them. They are ready. Some hundred of them. I'm not talking of them. A single stone charger would slay as many soldiers as a thousand implosion devices. No, Rebecca said flatly. The chargers aren't ready. Then it will be an air battle. Our war caravels are against theirs. We'll summon the airships of Nyoron and Seton to meet us over Phonon. If we can cripple the invader sky forces, we can open up their ground units for bombardment. By then, the stone chargers will be ready. They might not be, Rebecca warned. There are certain practical limits. They will be, Yama said with the guard's voice. I'll have to command the aerial battle personally. I want to go too, Rebecca said stoically. It was as though he planted that thought in her head. Yes, Rebecca, he said. You shall go too. There it is, Yamaha said as the command cruiser toppled a jagged line of mountains. Douse lights. The cruiser went black. Canvas airfoils routed quietly in the dark. As the communicator sent the command back along the gunships and war caravels, they winked away as well. Only the orange glimmer of the power stone engine showed up against the night. A much different glow lit the land ahead. There it is. Or, perhaps, there it was. Atop the distant mountains, fires glowed. Columns of flame stood amid ruining buildings and staved walls. Minute figures in savage armor moved among the ruins. Black smoke deepened the darkness above the one-time city. Flashed up fires cast demonic gleams across the rolling bellies of soot. Amid the filthy clouds above the city lingered solid forms. An armada of ships docked beside the captured phonon. The fact that those ships remained there, moored gunwale to gunwale, was a good sign. The Thran Alliance thought they had nothing to fear. Yalmoth smiled. His own strike force. The Phyrexian Armada had been swift and thorough. Not a single Thran sentry had gotten word back of the coming attack. Soon the Thran fleet would be as ravaged as the city. Phonon, Rebecca said beside Yalmoth. She stared at the fire ruins. Once this mountain-fast metropolis had been the most ancient, second richest, and third most populous city-state in the Empire, now it was a smoldering stump. At least there was a fight here. At least the people resisted. The city did not fall to betrayal as Orlison did. They denied the invaders' ships and soldiers, but still, they fell, 
Yawmoth muttered and went over the cruiser's rail. Rebecca cast her glance astern. Nine sleek gunboats trailed the cruiser. They jagged along, as quiet and strange as bats. Beyond them, the massed air armada of Halcyon, Nyoron, and Seton flew. Ramships, war caravels, and bombers. What are you going to do? Send the gunboats in for a surprise attack? We are all going in, Yamoth responded. He turned to the communications officer. Order the captain's full head. Tell them to lay in a course just beneath the enemy ships. Beneath? The officer asked. Beneath. We're going to rip the belly of the moored armada. Order the gunships to train the ray cannons directly upward. The communications officer worked feverishly at a power stone console. Tell the captains to bunch around the command cruiser in a tight formation. We don't want to be stretched out on a line when ships start falling. Order the ram ships to bring up the rear and engage once the rest of us are safely passed. Send the bombers over the city and tell them to lose their implosion devices. Even in the murk, Rebecca's wide eyes and knotted brow were visible. Over the city? None of our folk are left alive in there. Only invaders and traitors. Their army will be there, looting and raping and murdering. If they are raping and murdering, some of our folks still live. Perhaps they would have fought harder if they had known what I would do. Perhaps the folk of Nyoran and Seton will fight harder knowing what I will do. There was no time for discussion. The vast black stretches of mountain had fallen away beneath the swooping craft. War caravels nudged up alongside the command cruiser. Gunboats bobbed in the interstices. Their small engines sent a candle glow above the polished hulls of the larger ships. Ray cannons stood upright above decks, poised to crack open the hulls of the Thran vessels. Ram ships were at the rear of the contingent, and bombers peeled away into darkness, soaring toward the smoking city. The moored fleet of the Thran Alliance hovered just ahead, just above them. It was massive. Twenty cruisers, fifty war caravels, and perhaps a hundred smaller craft. Despite their numbers, they all boasted old-fashioned bombards. These craft were designed to unleash a leisurely and leveling rain on a city from miles above, or lie side on other ships at close range. Since most were also seagoing vessels, their hulls were solid wood and held neither guns nor watchmen, smooth, blind, and undefended. The ships clustered like fat grapes hanging from a lofty arbor. Ripe for plucking, Yamal said. One clutched the rail as the other lifted to prepare the fire signal. The communications officer prepped the same message. A final rail of mountains slipped away beneath the dark fleet. Their engine lights splashed momentarily across the peak as they passed. Then the vessel slipped into the valley beyond. The city was a vast ragged scab at the center of that valley. The last ramships cleared the lip of the valley and gave a final thrust of speed. Faint as dusk light, the engine cast a glow across the ridge. An alarm bell clanged ahead. Lanterns winked awake along the rail of the nearest Thrain ship. Cries went up, audible even on the torn wind. It little mattered. Before a single evader could raise a weapon, Yalmas Phyrexian armada shrieked beneath the flotilla. He dropped his hand, signaling and ordering, Fire at will. Ray cannons ignited. Triangular wedges of gold and green leaped from the casements and splashed across the darkened deck. Cons of pure energy vaulted up. Ramrod straight. The blast rose to crash audibly against the hulls. Eight-inch thick wood incinerated in an eye blink. Twenty-foot-long voids were raked up in the ship's hulls. Things rained out. Hewning smoldering things and hewning smoldering bodies. Where the bolts weren't spent, they bolted through the bilge and hold and cabins into engine rooms. Slaughter. Rebecca crouched at the rail, watching in terror as the Phyrexian armada vaulted beneath the Thran fleet. Debris hailed down from shattered hulls and battered the decks of the Phyrexian ships. Chunks of red-hot metal skittered over planks. Burning wood cascaded. To starboard, 
a hunk of hull crashed atop a Phyrexian gunboat. The vessel flared once as its engine went critical. It felt like a comet in the sky. To port, grain sacks tumbled from a ruined supply boat. They struck a Phyrexian caravel, passing beneath, and exploded in choking clouds of flour. Something heavy and wet thumped the decks just behind Rebecca. A man. Or half of one. He was gone above the waist. His bow cauterized in place. The remains slid and tumbled across the rushing deck as though the legs hoped to run away. How could the Phyrexian Armada survive this killing hail? Rebecca cringed. Just ahead, a great thran behemoth listed massively and horribly. Split the Armada. Evade, Yamoth ordered. The command cruiser slid from beneath the thran caravel just as it jolted ten feet. Crews spilled from the tilted deck. They're losing lift, Rebecca shouted, looking over the bow. Huge and shuddering, the ship plunged among the rushing tide of Phyrexian ships. Two gunboats impacted and disintegrated. A third caromed from its wheeling hull. A Phyrexian caravel cracked into the Thran gunwell and clove a trowel down to its chine bones. Another of Yalmoth's ships would have struck it head on, except the bow gunner flipped his cannon down and blasted a passage through. Mantled in shattered mass and tangled spars, the Thran ship keeled over and plummeted toward the darkness beyond the city. Crew, equipment, and provisions tumbled out of it like pepper from a spinning mill. The ship struck ground in the midst of encamped Thran armies. The Power Stone core split and went critical. Its explosion was unheard amid the firestorm of ray cannons, but the glare of it lit up the vast floating belly of the Thran army. Ripe for picking, Yalmoth shrieked. Another Thran caravel plunged. It dropped suddenly as if the core that held it aloft had been sliced. It tore through a swarm of Phyrexian ships, dragging three small gunboats with it. A fourth clipped the rigging, spun wildly, and impacted another Thran ship, ripping it in half. Sparking and hissing, the severed sections tipped away from each other and roared away. Three more crafts went down in the next seconds, twenty more in the next minutes. Phyrexian ships dodged most of them and tore the guts out of more. Yamoth carved an avenue of destruction beneath the invader's fleet. The sky was falling. Thran ships dropped atop Thran troops. Rock blasted out in slaying rain. Soldiers tumbled into riven craters. The chasm cut through the sky above, was cut below through flesh and rocky earth. Rebecca clung to the rail. Why did I think I had to come? The worst sight of all came from the ruined city. While falling ships destroyed the army they had meant to protect, implosion bombs ripped apart the remains of Phonon. Each bomber left long trails of pulverized rock and bone and flesh. Everywhere within the walls, white blasts crisscrossed. Roofs and walls tumbled into the sucking voids where the power stones cracked. Orange fires belched up from whatever was left to burn. Red flames leapt from the soldiers of those caught in the blaze. They stumbled and flailed until clothes and skins and muscle were burned away and only dead bone remained to tumble to the ground. The cannons are nearly depleted, reported the gunnery ensign. Increase speed, Yamal shouted. The Phyrexian armada roared faster. Three caravels, one heavy cruiser, and a score of small gunboats had gone down with the stricken Thran ships. Fire to depletion, Yamoth ordered. Summon the bombers. Best speed to Halcyon. The cruiser gave a shuddering groan as the final charges of light spasmed from the cannons. One by one, they issued gusts of gray smoke. The cannon course went dark. Only the roaring wind remained. Yalmoth's cruiser soared out from beneath the Thran armada. His fleet followed. Phyrexian bombers, running light and hollow, met them at the top of the sky. The ships turned, arching over the encircling mountains. Once beyond the gray wall of it, lights winked back into being along the rails and mass of the craft. What now? Will they pursue? Rebecca asked. No. Their losses are too great. Their army too vulnerable. 
They will fear we have troops waiting in the mountains to swarm down on them. They will not pursue. Rebecca shook her head. If only we did have troops in the mountains. This battle was only to make things equal. I was only to winnow their fleet and army and assure Nyoron and Seton they must remain loyal or pay in blood for forgiveness. They will march next on Halcyon, Rebecca said. They won't reach Halcyon, not the city itself. We will meet them at Magadan Deval, just east of the city. They must pass down the Valley of Death to emerge onto the desert plains. The ground troops will be bottlenecked emerging there. The air units will be committed to their defense. We will fling them out of the sky. Meanwhile, our main army will slay them in their hundreds as they emerge. That will be the greatest battle of this war. That battle will live in the mind of the world forever. The Battle of Megadon Defile.